Pastor Xavier Reese and the cost of the free gift of salvation. John the Baptist said, Behold, the Lamb of God which takes away the sins of the world in John 1.29. Every Jew understood that. When he said that, every Jew understood. They saw a priest bringing an animal, cutting the throat of that animal, and as they looked at that dead animal, they were to remind themselves, that is what I deserve. And that animal took my place. The Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, would take the place of sinners on the cross. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Inevitably, around this time of year, we often hear the question, why did Jesus have to die on the cross? 1 Peter 3.18 offers the answer by saying, Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that He might bring us to God. The purpose of the cross was so Christ could bring us to God so we can have a relationship with God now and forever in heaven. The simple truth is, without Christ's atonement for us on the cross, we wouldn't be able to have fellowship with God at all. And so today, Pastor Xavier brings us a threefold message for the meaning of both the cross and resurrection. Let's listen. As you know, there were two men who were crucified with Jesus Christ, one on the left and the other one on the right. And... um. They both heard the first saying from the cross in Luke 23, 34. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That doesn't mean they weren't guilty or they weren't responsible. It means they really didn't know the full ramification of their actions, just like you and I when we sin or do something. We don't know how it will affect us and how devastation and all the destruction that will bring down the road. We're still guilty, still responsible, but we're so caught up in the immediate that we can't see the ramifications that will come to our lives. And that's what he meant. Now, both of those men heard that. As the morning wore on, as you know, one of them had a change of heart. And as um, they were hanging on the cross, he confronted the other thief or criminal, rebuking him. He says, do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. In Luke 24, 23, 40, and 41. Two men equally distant. They heard the same thing. Two men equally guilty. Condemned for their crime. Two men deserving that sentence and death. And yet one was convicted of his sin and saw himself as separated from God, in need of God. And as we'll see, calls upon God. The other one, stone cold hard. Now some of you that are born again know exactly by experience you heard the gospel at one time and then there were friends with you or others you made a decision for Christ they still have not you're both equally guilty for sin both equally under the wrath of God both equally deserving hell yet you responded to the conviction of the spirit of God and trusted the grace of God and the other ones now that decision made all the difference in the world where God says you will spend eternity with him after you die and those that don't will be separated from him for all eternity. That's why the gospel is so imperative, important to be preached. What an accurate picture of what man is like, thinking that he doesn't need God or salvation or be forgiven because he thinks he's good enough. It was at this point where 
The thief turns to Jesus and he says, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus gives the second word and he says, today you will be with me in paradise. Luke 23, 43. Today you will be with me in paradise. When I die and you die, we're going to be together. We're going to go down. We're going to descend to hell. We're going to pick up all those who died in hell in the bosom of Abraham that died by faith. And we're going to take you to heaven. You're going to be with me. The other thief, he would remain in hell and the place of torment. Today, you will be with me in paradise. It makes a big difference, the choice you make regarding Jesus Christ. So on Easter morning, the tomb of Jesus was found empty, proclaiming the hope for mankind, for Jesus Christ had risen from the dead. The angel said to the women, why do you seek the living among the dead? In Luke 24, 5. The grave couldn't hold them. They were afraid of the, who's going to roll that big stone away when they got there was... It was rolled away. The angel was sitting on top of it. Hey, what are you guys doing here? So let me speak to you about the oneness of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ by looking at it through a threefold lens. First, the life of Christ was looking towards the cross. Secondly, the cross of Christ was looking towards the resurrection. And thirdly, the resurrection of Christ was looking towards the forgiveness of sinners. There was a beginning point that had to take place. There was a goal. Let's begin with the life of Christ was looking towards the cross. As you know, Jesus was God who became incarnate, who became man. John 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and God was the Word. And the Word became flesh and we beheld His glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. From the beginning, He was eternal. He was God. He was with the Father in sweet fellowship. But he abandoned that fellowship to become man. He became flesh. He abdicated his throne. He abdicated his glory, never his deity. So when he came, he became man, but he was still God. When he left, he was still God, and he's still God today. You can't be more than God, but you can be less than God. He became man, one just like us. Jesus was the promised Messiah, as you know, who had come according to the prophetic eternal schedule. God is in the throne and he's ruling and he knows all that's going on in the world. All through the generations, he knew about World War I, World War II, Korea. He knows about all the terrorism today. He knows about all where we're going, everything. But God's not responsible for the evil that goes on in the world, okay? The evil in the world we see is because of man, you and I. We're fallen. We're evil. Now God's aware of everything on when Adam fell, evil came into the world. And so what goes on right now is the result of man's desire for power. He's greedy. Somebody always wants a bigger piece of the pie. Jesus came according to God's schedule. In Genesis 3.15, he says the seed of the woman. The seed of the woman meant virgin birth. Because a woman doesn't have any seed. She has the egg. The man provides the seed. So there you have the first proclamation that one day God would send a son and he would be conceived by the Spirit of God, as Matthew 1.23 says, he told Mary, and he would be the promised Messiah to redeem mankind. The promise was given to Abraham in Genesis 12.3. says, in you shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Not just Gentile, not just Jew, not just Jew, or just, but both. The Gentiles were always included, but the schedule was a little different. The first 2,000 years, it was through Israel. Gentiles could proselyte in. Then through the 400 years of silence, then you have Jesus Christ coming. Now you have Jew, Gentile, one in Christ Jesus. 
So the Gentiles were always included. It was just a matter of God's scheduling time. He is the Shiloh that was to come, Messiah, in Genesis 49.10. He's the kingdom redeemer, the Goel, that is spoken about in Numbers and Leviticus, who had the right to redeem a brother or a sister or relative out of bondage or get, regain property, redeem it back as Ruth and Boaz. He is the seed of David that was promised to him in 2 Samuel 7, 12 through 17. Short-term-wise, there was the promise of Solomon, his son, and long-term-wise, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, through the line of David. That's why the genealogy in Matthew and then in Luke. You have an ascension, you have a dissension, one through Nathan, one through Solomon, all coming as the promised seed. He was a child born, a son given, as Isaiah 9, 6 says, God's gift to us. He was the one who would be wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities, Isaiah 53, 5 says. He was the king of the Jews that rode in and the triumphal entry in Zechariah 9, 9 and Matthew 21 riding on the coal of a donkey. And he came in the fullness of time, right on schedule. Galatians 4, 4 says, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth the son made of a woman under the law, right on time. He's never late. He's right on time. Now, sometimes we get in trouble and we're all pressured and everything, so we think that God's late. But, but he's not. He's never missed an appointment. Jesus was born to die on the cross. You and I are born into this world, eventually we'll die. But he purposely was born to die for you and for me. That's why he came. Simon the priest, um, who was waiting for the consolation of Israel, declared to Mary when she dedicated Jesus in uh, Luke 2, 34 through 35. Listen to what he says. Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign which will be spoken against, yes, a sword will pierce through your own souls, also speaking to Mary, that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. He was prophesying that he was the Messiah in verification, but that he was born to die and her heart would be broken, realizing all that was going to happen to her son, though he was God, <laughs> her son. John the Baptist said, Behold, the Lamb of God which takes away the sins of the world in John 1.29. Every Jew understood that. When he said that, when he pointed to the disciples to Jesus Christ and said that, every Jew understood. They saw a priest. They saw a court. They saw a person coming in, bringing an animal. They saw him tying him up to a pole. They saw that person taking a knife, cutting the throat of that animal, blood going up, the animal hitting the ground. And as they looked at that dead animal, they were to remind themselves, that is what I deserve. And that animal took my place. The Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, would take the place of sinners on the cross. Caiaphas, a high priest, if you remember, prophesied in John 11, 49 through 51. And he said, one of them, Caiaphas, being high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing of all, nor do you consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people. And not that the whole nation should perish. Now this he did not say on his own authority, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. So stop and think about it. This man, Caiaphas, he's one of the most hypocritical, evil religious rulers. And yet God used him to prophesy a truth, a prophecy about the death of Jesus Christ, that he would die rather than the nation perish. God speaks to anybody he wants. And when that revelation comes forth, in whichever way he does that, it's absolute truth. Sometimes they understood it if they were prophets. Sometimes they did not. 
But either way, it's a proclamation that's registered within the scriptures to let you know that it is God's word and God cannot lie, and therefore it will come to pass. Now, whatever the prophecy may be, if it regards evil, God doesn't force the person to do the evil. God only declares that the evil will be done because he knows what every person will do. Because if God forced the person to do the evil he prophesied about, then God would be responsible for the evil, and he couldn't hold the person responsible for the wrong they did, right? I mean, you're going walking down the street with your son, you pick up a rock and you throw it through a window, and then the person comes out and says, he did it? You know, no, you're responsible. Or you tell your son to do it, and then you would be responsible. You couldn't blame him. So God knows all the evil that will go on. God knows everything that people will say and do and how they'll respond. So he can tell us things before they happen, so when they happen, you know it's God. That's what prophecy is. It's not looking at the crystal ball and hopefully come true. God knows it. But he's not responsible for your evil or for mine. We are responsible for that. And yet his love for us is so immense in spite of that. Stop and think, how merciful would you be to yourself if you were God? How many times would you forgive you? We, we'd all, we're in bad shape. Listen to the love of God. Luther called on John 3.16, the heart of the Bible, the gospel in miniature. It's so simple. A child can understand it, he says, yet it is condensed the deep and marvelous truths of redemption into these few pugnant words. Listen carefully, John 3.16. God, the greatest lover, so love the greatest degree, the world the greatest number, that he gave the greatest act, the only begotten Son the greatest gift, that whosoever the greatest invitation believeth the greatest simplicity in him the greatest person should not perish the greatest deliverance but the greatest difference have the greatest certainty everlasting life the greatest possession if all you had was john 3:16 to preach from the pulpit you would need nothing else nothing else for man to be accountable before god everyone who's born again knows john 3:16 <laughs> They may not know anything else, but they know John 3.16. The cross, ladies and gentlemen, is a place of judgment on sin in the person of God's Son for the world. Uh, he's the one who satisfied God's demands. 1 John 2.2, 2, the propitiation for our sins, not ours alone, but the whole world. That which um, not only met the requirement, but satisfied it. The cross is the place where Jesus gave himself as a ransom for all to be testified in due time, 1 Timothy 2.6. Some people say, well, you know, maybe God didn't call me. Well, how do you know he didn't call you? Well, I haven't come. Why haven't you come? Because I don't want to come. Okay, then, you have the right to go to hell. But you can't blame God. You see, you can go to hell if you want to, but you don't have to go there. You can't go to heaven. He died for all, but not all will come because not all will see themselves in need of salvation or even care to be saved. God excludes no person, not one. The just for the unjust, 1 Peter 3.18 tells us. He died for sinners, Romans 5.8. He died for the ungodly, Romans 5.6. He died for every tribe, tongue, people, and nation, Revelation 5.9. He died for fornicators, adulterers, idolaters, homosexuals, sodomites, thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, Extortioners, I presume we all qualify somewhere in there. Thank God for him. The life of Christ was looking towards the cross. 
That's why he came. He came to die on a cross. Secondly, comes the cross of Christ. It was looking towards the resurrection. If we only had the cross, then there'd be no hope. You'd just have a martyr die. Good man. Jesus told Nicodemus about the need of the cross and the resurrection. You remember Nicodemus in John 3, 14 through 16, he was um, uh, one of the main teachers. And Jesus was uh, expressed the astonishment, and, you, and you're the teacher of Israel, and you don't know this? And Jesus, um, as he's talking to him there in verses uh, 14 through 16, he reaches back way into the Old Testament, and he grabs a passage from the wilderness journey when the Israelites were being rebellious, and God sent fiery serpents, poisonous serpents in the camp. They were biting them, and they were dying. And they call upon Moses to intercede. And Moses interceded, and God told him, Moses, take a pole and put a brass serpent on it and put it in the center of the camp so it's high enough that if everybody, lo whoever looks upon it will not die if they believe. If they ask forgiveness, they believe, then they won't die. Jesus pulls that imagery, which is prophetic, and he applies it to himself. Death is directly implied. The pole is the cross. The brass serpent, brass is judgment. The serpent is sin. Sin would be judged on the cross. And whoever looks upon the one on the cross, they will be saved. Jesus makes that application and interpretation of that passage. Incredible. So he shows exactly the only way for man to have any hope. He declared the all-encompassing benefit of the cross, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You see, physical death is just temporal. When you die physically, you don't cease to exist. There's life after death. Now, whether you believe it or not, it doesn't make any difference. It's a fact. One person told me one time, oh, I can't even imagine myself living forever. What am I going to do? Well, God's not asking if you want to live forever. God's just asking you, where do you want to live forever? Heaven or hell? You're going to live forever. Jesus told his disciples the oneness of his death and resurrection over and over and over again, but they didn't hear nothing. Because they were so set on their own understanding about God's plan. They had their theology all neatly packaged and sealed as Jews. At Caesarea Philippi, you had all these false worship of gods. It says, as he's speaking there, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, be killed, and be raised from the dead. Now, when they heard that he'd be dead, that's all they heard. They didn't hear the resurrection. Sometimes I'm preaching, I'm teaching, and somebody, and somebody maybe is not a believer, or maybe they're a believer and they've got their own agenda. And once I say one thing, boom, turns them off, they don't hear anything after that. And that's the way we are. You know if you're a parent, because you tell your child, do this, and they kind of like it, and they say, now remember, do this also. And, they, you know, and then when they don't do what you told them to do, but they do what, they, what, you, what you said they could do, then you say, what did I tell you? I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't hear that. We're very selective, right? Peter confessed there, by the way, as uh, Jesus said, who do 
men say that I am. He said, well, some say you're John the Baptist and some say you're Elijah. And, and, and Jesus turns to Peter and says, but who do you say that I am? He says, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And he said, blessed thou art, son of our Jonah, flesh and blood does not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. And on this rock, this gigantic truth that I am the Son of the living God, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Wow. Thank God that the church is not built on Peter. We'd be dead. It's built on Jesus Christ. Once again at Galilee, Matthew 17, 22 to 23, Jesus says, Now, while they were staying in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And the third day he will rise up again. And they were exceedingly sorrowful. He mentions both death resurrection together from Caesarea Philippi is six months to the cross he's walking under the shadow of the cross from that point forward he never mentions his death without his resurrection always together it says now Jesus going up to Jerusalem took the 12 disciples aside on the road and said to them behold we are going up to Jerusalem and the son of man will be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles to be mocked, to be scourged, and to be crucified. And the third day, he will rise again. Matthew 20, 17 through 19. There it is again. Prior to his betrayal, in Matthew 26, 31 through 32, he says, when Jesus said to them, all of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered but after this, I have been raised, I will go before you into Galilee. Death, resurrection again, all together. They had the message, but they were so set that Jesus was going to go to Jerusalem and he was going to set up the kingdom and knock off Rome. Because in the Jewish mind, you had the present age, the age to come. They had no room for death. See, a lot of people want to be Christians, but they don't want to go through testings. They just want to believe the gospel of being preached of health and wealth, Right? That God can make me rich. And that I can do anything. Well, that's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. We live in a fallen world. In fact, if you're a Christian, Jesus says, in the world you shall have tribulation. Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. He told the first church when Paul was preaching in Asia Minor, he says, remember, we must enter the kingdom of God through much tribulations. <laughs> When's the last time you heard an altar call like that? Hey, any of you guys want to enter the kingdom of God with many tribulations? Come on forward. You see, so it's a half a gospel. It's not a true gospel. Jesus in death became the payment for sin and through the resurrection, the author of eternal life. Due to the fact that Adam sinned in the garden and all of us inherited sin and death through him, Romans 5, 12. Wherever there's death, it's because of sin. And wherever there's sin, there's going to be death. One is the result of the other. All fall short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. Not one of us um, is able to hit the target 100%. That's the picture of man. But the heart of man, the pride of man says, hey, I don't need God. I'm good enough. And to prove it, you always pick someone worse than you. That way you look better. You're not stupid. But it's due to the fact also because we're all under God's wrath. God is holy. He's so holy, ladies and gentlemen. We're just very fortunate he doesn't barbecue us right on the spot. He's the epitome of holiness. We are the epitome of sin. And he's made this incredible provision that to pass it up is sheer stupidity. 
but such is the case every generation. But it's also due to the fact that he came to die to be the ransom for many, that Lamb of God, to give that provision to as many as will open their heart to him. That's the type of God that we serve. Pastor Xavier Reese and the simple truths of the plan of salvation for this Easter, a free gift to whosoever believes in him, Christ the Savior. And you can hear this message again if you like online anytime by selecting today's date under the radio tab at calvarychapelpasadena.com. But you can also request a CD copy of this important study titled Raised to Ensure Forgiveness. As always, they're available for just $4. And make sure you share this helpful insight with your brothers and sisters in the Lord once you're through. The title to ask for once again is Raised to Ensure Forgiveness. Or simply mention today's date when you write Simple Truths. 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And it's helpful when you mention the call letters of this station when you contact us. And then join us for more Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese right here next time. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 